Hey, welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Haley, we've got a great feature interview for our listeners this week. I got the chance to speak to Salim Ismail. He's Yahoo's former head of innovation. And, and we're talking all about how disruptive technology is bringing about exponential change for a lot of companies so how is it that companies are supposed to thrive? Are you going to end up being, you know, somebody who is reliant on, say, whale oil to power mm-hmm. your company? Or are you going to get with the program and, and figure things out? And a lot of people just aren't prepared for how, say, mobility, artificial intelligence, even augmented reality are, are just changing things at a pace that we've never experienced before. It seems to be fair, like a daunting task. And it, you might be a leader in industry that doesn't make you an expert in emerging technologies too. So it's figuring out how you wrap your head around one, what the technologies are, and two, how they're going to disrupt virtually any industry you can think of. The reach is unbelievable. Yeah. And Salim has some great insights and he's joining me along with uh, co-host Kirk LaPointe. That starts right now. Our next guest is the keynote speaker at Tuesday's Edge Summit on Exponential Change. That is Salim Ismail. He is a Canadian serial entrepreneur. He's a former chief innovation officer at Yahoo, and he's the author of Exponential Organization. Salim, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Great to be here. We don't think too much exponentially. We tend to think in a much more linear, uh, incremental way. What does exponential change involve, do you think? Well, the, the, the basis of it is that all of our education and training and intuition about the world teaches us linear extrapolation, yeah. right? If I say, hey, go 30 meters, it's very easy to predict where that is. And it's very easy to predict step-by-step uh, step what a third or two-thirds look like. Uh, but if I say take 30 exponential doubling steps, 2, 4, 8, 16, et cetera, at step 30, I've actually gone a billion meters, uh, which is a little bit further than 30 meters. And it's very hard to gauge where is one-third or two-thirds of the way. Cognitively, our brains do not uh, get this pattern very well. Do uh, organizations get this pattern very well? What happens when you bring in a lot of disruptive change to a lower, large organization? Well, uh, pretty uniformly, if you try that, uh, the immune system of the organization will attack, right? Because all of our organizations are built to resist change and, and withstand risk. Uh, and yet we're seeing that's the high order bit and, and dealing with that has now become kind of, I think, the central problem facing businesses today. So how do you lead them to water and make them drink? Um, we, uh, so when I, when I wrote the book, we actually came up with a set of constructs that people should uh, go after. The primary is, is uh, educate the leadership uh, that we are in this kind of new world. And uh, so we've been doing a lot of that, and that's partly my work at Singularity uh, University. Uh, but recently, we've actually uh, devised a process that takes about 10 weeks that actually solves that immune system problem. And so we've been pushing that out uh, fairly aggressively over the last couple of years. Is it, is it uh, to your earlier point that uh, companies have to confront their own discomfort about change initially in order to have any opportunity at all to think in the way that you're proposing? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the number one is to recognize that, that you're operating in an old state. Um, David Rose, one of our faculty, makes this dramatic point. He says any company designed for success in the 20th century is doomed for failure in the 21st, <laughs> uh, which is a little dramatic, but I think the base of it is very accurate. And so re-architecting yourself for this new world is absolutely critical today. And, and being aware of it is, is step one, obviously. You know, you brought up 
Singularity University, something that uh, you've helped develop. It's based in NASA over at Silicon Valley. Tell me a little bit about the ideas that are coming out of that. What, what are you pushing your cohorts uh, to do over there? Well, what we do is we are part academics, part uh, incubator, and part think tank. We focus exclusively on a very, very fast-moving technology. So anywhere where we see a doubling pattern or exponential growth in, say, drones or 3D printing or neuroscience or biotech or Bitcoin or what have you, we bring together the world's leading experts in those areas, and then we teach courses mostly focused on the future of where that will go. You know, what breakthroughs should you be looking out for? Where will these technologies intersect? Uh, who are the thought leaders in the different domains and what labs are doing the most interesting work. Then we challenge our students and our participants to harness that acceleration. And very uh, specifically, we give them the challenge of, hey, go come up with an idea that would impact a billion people within 10 years. <laughs> but the namesake of... for-profit companies. The, na the namesake of Singularity University, though, it, it comes from Ray Kurzweil, uh, of, of course, known to believe in the Singularity's technology is going to amplify human intelligence in a way that we have never seen before. What do you make of the idea of the Singularity here? So a little weirdly, uh, I personally don't believe it in the way that it's popular conceived of. Um, uh, and ironically, we're not really a university either, uh, uh, really. So we're, we've got a bit of a naming challenge there. But the, the basic concept is you could think of it as Black Swan University. You know, we're having disruptive <laughs> events that radically change the landscape. The iPhone arriving on the mobile phone scene would be that kind of an event where everything changed and all your previous models broke down. And that's the concept of a mathematical singularity. Uh, when we think about uh, uh, AI kind of getting smarter than people, we have a bit of a definition problem because... We talk about intelligence being overtaken by machines, but we really don't know what intelligence is. And so it becomes a bit of a non sequitur from that process. It's actually, we're gradually enhancing and augmenting ourselves with technology, and there will come a point where that pace of change is rapid enough that we barely see that the change is happening. It's just completely moving at kind of like light speed. And you could argue we're almost there today. In as much as you you may think that you've got a bit of a, a, a name issue with Singularity University, you're obviously dealing with young adults in this case, or sometimes even older adults. But how do you take a concept like uh, exponential thinking and broaden it in such a way that it, it comes into the school system, comes into a younger age, so that you can identify a lot more people who are conceptually prepared to help you here? Yes, that's maybe the biggest challenge that we have today. We focused initially on graduate students because as they enter the labor force and the workforce, A, they're well-prepared or at least can absorb some of the density of information we throw at them and appreciate it. B, they can make uh, kind of change pretty quickly. So our average age in our summer program is pretty um, one-week executive programs for the existing CEOs, investors, government leaders that are out in the world. And our message to them is pretty blunt, you know, adapt or retire, like pick one and pick one and go with it. <laughs> um, and with the, uh, the next step would be to go to the younger, even younger ages. We find that the younger uh, students actually get it natively because they've grown up in a digital world. It's really the, the kind of our current existing leadership that, that, uh, that is a problem. And frankly, we think there's a major leadership crisis globally exponential change. Uh, we're seeing the stress in the world of all of our institutions um, don't work in this new world. Well, if there is this leadership crisis to a certain degree, does that just mean more people are on the same level, uh, fewer people are going to be left behind, or are, are businesses at risk of you know just falling behind because their competitors are way out ahead of them? 
I think the latter. I think businesses are at risk. And I think what we're seeing is uh, we literally cannot spot a single industry that is not ripe for disruption. Uh, you know, initially we thought of, we, we watched music and newspapers and publishing. We thought, okay, that was them. But now we're looking at hotels, cars, taxis. Uh, even the construction industry uh, looks like it's ripe for disruption. And you would think hard-pressed to think about how that would happen. But it happens either directly or indirectly. Maybe the granddaddy of all of this is, the, is energy, where solar energy is coming along, and it's going to radically alter the landscape and the geopolitics globally as a result of that. Who do you think is best prepared? Which industry do you think has uh, has itself uh, in a better place than others? Um, there's a few that are, there's a couple that are a little bit safer, like healthcare or financial services because of the regulatory aspects. And that slows down the metabolism. But uh, that is, that will work in the short to medium term. It doesn't work for the long term. No, because it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a form of protectionism, isn't it? It is, in fact, a form of protectionism. And, and, and what uh, typically... Uh, people do. They, in fact, erect those regulatory barriers so it's harder for startups to get going or new drugs to be discovered, etc. Uh, but as time goes by, as we, let's say healthcare, as we get medical tourism and so on, that'll start to, to dis- disseminate. Um, you know, there are certain procedures that are banned for stem cells, and Peter Diamandis, our, our, our chairman, just literally flew to Panama and got a, an injection of stem cells instead of going through very expensive surgery at home. And so there's kind of patterns like that that are happening uh, across the board. When people think disruption, a lot of them will automatically go towards automation, AI. We talked a little bit about it earlier before. What other trends technology-wise are, are people looking out for at this point? Well, I think the, the technology is the forcing function, but it's very, very pervasive and, and actually quite subtle at times. Um, you know, I'll give you a small example uh, I bought a house in, in Toronto recently, and we were looking to put garden lighting up. And the quote from the, uh, from the, from the kind of builders was about 2,500 to lay all the wiring and set up, the, et cetera, et cetera, and, and lay it all out and connect it to all the, the home system and put the sensors on and so on. It was about $2,500 for this lighting system. And literally that night I'm on, on, on one of the deal sites, and I find an $8 uh, solar light that has a sense proximity sensor built in and I stick up this $8 solar powered um, sensor which takes no power from the grid at all lights up when anybody's within three meters of it and instead of $2,500 I've spent like you know $25 right and that we that's happening around us all over the place we just don't notice it yeah. and all of a sudden the cost of things has dropped dramatically demand has dropped dramatically we've demonetized an environment and it's and it's kind of we kind of just suddenly is there, and that's what we're at, where we struggle to, to find patterns in this, and we, it's very hard to spot. Your eight dollar lights up until the guy who quoted you twenty five hundred dollars is going to come and dismantle it in the middle of the night. Uh, just <laughs> that's right, <laughs> but, because, because that you know, he's, we'll he's protecting out, himself we'll there. Send squirrels around to, to <laughs> just have a constant yeah, yeah. on and off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we can only uh, predict what's going to happen there, but but. Uh, are we going to then experience a situation, Salim, where uh, what we might now perceive as chaos or, or real disruption becomes a new normal where actually our systems settle a bit and we just come to expect that that's what we're going to have in our industries? I, I, yes, I think that's going to happen and I think it's happening already. And you can see it in, in, in the politics of the world today, right? Even though the world is heading in a better place than you've ever seen it, 
and we're kind of actually radically moving at high speed toward the abundance of energy, healthcare, education, clean water globally, the politics of the world is literally going the other direction. And there are pockets of people, look at the rise of fundamentalism globally, there are pockets of people in every society saying, I can't take this pace of change, let's go back to an older time. And this is what we mean by leadership failure. And on the business side, uh, there, in every industry, certainly the more traditional ones, sake automotive or energy, uh, uh, healthcare, etc., people are literally putting their heads in the sand and saying, yeah, yeah, this Bitcoin thing will never work, right? And, and, and that's the wrong approach. Um, we have, people have to recognize today either they're the disruptor or they're disrupted, and a choice has to be made. But, you know, technology has been changing all industries throughout you know history. Look, uh, no uh, much of a uh, not much of a market anymore for saddlery as, as there were was just a hundred hundred fifty years ago. But but what's different fundamentally about what's going on nowadays versus what we saw in centuries past? Yeah, great point. Uh, there are two fundamental distinctions today that make it a very unique time. The first is as we turn more and more of the world into information then that becomes malleable and scales in a completely different way, right? I write in, the, in my book that the Tesla is not really a, a car with computers and sensors in it. It's really a computer with wheels. And you look at it very differently. And I joke that one of my alumni corrected me and said, you're wrong about the car. It's not a computer. It updates itself every two or three weeks. So you have to think of it as an app that has mm. wheels. <laughs> and that totally breaks your brain. But the vector is completely correct, right? So the information basis of the world, and we're turning more and more of the world into information, is one driver, uh, which is the basis of this accelerating technology. The second, though, is that today we have a dozen technologies that are all doubling in their price performance. In the past, we maybe had one or two at a time, but today we have 12 and the, the number is growing. So each one, whether it's sensors or drones or 3D printing or neuroscience, each one is doubling on its own. But where they intersect, that adds a whole other multiplier to the equation. And the aggregate effect becomes very profound. Um, small example is the the, uh, the the LiDAR sensors on the top of the Google car five years ago cost $75,000, and you can buy the exact same thing today at a much smaller uh, profile for $50. Wow. Yeah. Well, because Celine, the three or four aggregate technologies really accelerating. Uh, Salim, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And that's Salim Ismail, author of Exponential Organizations. He's going to be the keynote speaker at Tuesday's Edge Summit on Exponential Change here in Metro Vancouver. This segment of Business in Vancouver was brought to you by Dale Carnegie Training. There's a reason why today's Dale Carnegie Training matters. Discover how it can help you reach your goals at bc.dalecarnegie.com. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Ort. And I'm Kurt LaPointe. And that was Salim Ismail. He is uh, the former head of innovation at Yahoo, among many, many other titles. A very cool guy there. And this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600 at 604-714-3600, or else check them out on their website at manningelliott.ca. We have a, a couple of BIV events we want to draw your attention to. Coming up on October 11th, we have TELUS Garden. <laughs> oh, sorry. 
We have a couple of VIV events you want to draw your attention to. Coming up on October 11th, we have the top 100 fastest growing companies reception at TELUS Garden. And we'll also have some experts debate where your money belongs as an investment on October 26th at Van City Theater. The event brings together brokers and bankers for what should be a lively, entertaining, maybe a bit competitive of a debate. You can find more information on all those at BIV.com slash events. So Tyler, where can people connect with you? Yeah, go to at reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. That's on Twitter. You can also read my stories and your stories, Haley, at BIV.com. That's right. And if you want to connect with me on social media, you can search at Haley Wooden, H-A-Y-L-E-Y-W-O-O-D-I-N. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find a podcast as well on iTunes if you want to check them out there and give us a rating, which is something we appreciate. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.